This would be really interesting in a book. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! So you lie to yourself to be happy. There's nothing wrong with that. We all do it. We all go a little mad sometimes. Come on. If one of you nuts has got any guts. What's but a smile on that face? You're only as healthy as you feel. Listen to me! Listen to you by what right? Because I have a right to be and I have a voice! Ladies and gentlemen, Welcome to Pop Culture Case Study. Yeah, let's do it. I'm pumped. Let's let the healing begin. All right, hi everyone. Welcome to Pop Culture Case Study, where we analyze pop culture from a psychological angle, a part of the following films network. So this week we already covered a period drama in 2005's Pride and Prejudice, which I know now is the lesser version of Pride and Prejudice. Right, you do. Uh, and the voice you hear there is my wife Britt, who is stuck in Reno with me, and I'm very grateful that she is here and has been taking care of me and is also now recording with me. So she went and saw the movie we are covering this week, which is Tulip Fever. So Britt, what did you think of uh, the movie I dragged you to? I have a bad track record with dragging you to movies for this podcast. We have, what was the, we had uh, Jack Reacher 2. Yeah. Uh, what was the last Still one? Still not forgiving you for that There one. was another one that there was, was bad. There was another one that was really awful. It's probably, it's apparently so awful that we've both forgotten what it is. <laughs> well, I, I remembered it yesterday. Now, for the life of me, I cannot You should write that stuff down. You're getting too old. Getting? Been too old. Been too old. Uh, so, Britt, what did you think of Tulip Fever? Well, before we even go, the night before, Dave goes... I'm sorry, this movie's going to be really bad. Well, in my defense, it was like, I think it was sitting at, I didn't look at any of the reviews, but it was sitting at like a 10% on Rotten Tomatoes after like yeah. 20 or 30 reviews, which isn't a good look, usually. Right, so so there was already that, where I'm mm-hmm. like, great, Dave's taking me to another awful movie, I'm going to waste <laughs> two hours of my life again. Yep. Um, but then it wasn't, like, it wasn't bad, but it wasn't good either. Yeah, I mean... You look at 10%, you look at like a 38 Metascore, and you, I almost am going and hoping that it's like so bad that I can laugh at it. And this just kind of laid there it just in the makes middle. I wonder what they were comparing it to, though, too. Because yeah. it, it was one of those things where they had an amazing cast they weren't utilizing correctly. Mm-hmm. Nobody did anything bad, but they didn't do anything great. It was just like. Eh. Right. So that cast. So this is a great cast. Uh, you've got Alicia Vikander and Dane DeHaan in the main roles. Dane DeHaan, I think people are very split on, but Alicia Vikander at this point is known. Which one's that one? He was the the Leonardo DiCaprio lookalike. Oh, right. That you don't hate his face. Punch his face. Yes. Um, also, also starring Jack O'Connell and Holiday Granger, um, Kevin McKidd, Zach Galifianakis, Judy Dench, Christoph Waltz. I mean, this is this is a well known and good cast and. I would say that there's there's no bad performances here. There is a... I mean, this is based on a book, so this is a script that maybe just shouldn't have been made? I'm just not sure this movie ever should have been made. I'm not sure there's a way to make this work, because the whole time I was watching this, I kept thinking, this would be really interesting in a book. Yeah, I think I think there's, there's too much that can't get said in a movie. Right. Um, like the internal monologue stuff you don't get. Which is my problem with pretty much... Every rendition of Wuthering Heights. Yeah, which sure. Which is why we didn't talk about that. <laughs> so we didn't fight on yeah. air. Yes. Um, because there's there's some stuff that you just need from an inner monologue, or you need explained more. That right. You, like you need to be told, not shown. And but which is interesting because when you're writing, you're told to like show, not tell. Right. Right. But it's in a movie. 
especially this type of movie, they're not showing enough to tell us what's going on. Yeah, and they tried to tell us in these ridiculous um, kind of voiceovers, like Holiday Granger is tasked with this narration in the beginning that like no one is really paying attention to and no one is really caring. Um, and the movie is kind of set on this backdrop of there was this time in history, apparently, where tulips were all the rage. Uh, and there was essentially this little black market tulip feeding frenzy that was going on, which... So yeah, the tulip thing, I think, is the thing that beyond anything is the stuff that I was like, I would love to read a book that has all the background about this, but the way it was set up in this movie was like, you know, we'd have this love story and then we'd cut away to fucking, you know, tulip market and then cut back five minutes later and it just, it never, it never grabbed us and there was supposed to be this this running theme about fever in the movie, about the fever between these two characters who fall into each other's arms and the fever over tulips, and all of that completely falls flat, at least for me. Well, and I think the thing is, is that it didn't give it enough time to show the comparison between the two relationships. I feel like that right. is, like, shown a lot more in the book. I because, would have to be, almost. Right, because, like, <laughs> because they, like, they show, like, the, the fishmonger and Maria and mm -hmm. how, like... Which, honestly, that was my favorite part. That, yeah. That relationship, I was like... It right. might be just because I'm in love with Holiday Granger. That might have something to do with it. But that relationship really worked and you could feel the passion. Well, and then that's the thing is like that, that was showing like what, what happens when real love is there. Mm -hmm. and like, like the time, the patience, because even like, because I think what they were trying to do is mirror the differences in the relationships with the differences of how they handled the tulip market too. Sure. But they just fumbled on it a bit. Yeah. There was a lot they of that. They didn't build it enough. Yeah, I think my biggest complaint, though, is for this movie to work, Dane DeHaan and Alicia Vikander have to work. Like, that passion has to work. And we were kind of talking about this in the car after, how it's really difficult, and we'll talk more about this when we talk about Room with a View. It's really difficult in period films to show that longing and that desire because they're not allowed to really interact, and you can't be as direct as you do in a movie set in modern times. Right. And... Let me just ask, because I think people can tell what I think of it. Do you feel like the, those scenes of longing in the first 20, 30 minutes of the movie between these two characters, do they work? No. Because first of all... Like, it's not just because you hate his face? No, it's not just because <laughs> of that. Um, but especially because I've seen so many other period movies that do like the building of the tension really well. Like mm -hmm. This one was just like... She seems skittish the entire time, and yeah. is not being it's like approaching a deer at all. Like just right, <laughs> um, he's just like overtly staring at her this whole time. To where, like, I kept waiting for the trailer version of um, Christoph Waltz character right. because, like, in the trailer, the trailer trailer edits they make him into the, like this very jealous older right. husband. Mm -hmm. um, but he just seems witless and clueless. Why this man is like totally staring at his woman, yeah, putting his hands all over her. See, that's this is actually the perfect example of how people are wasted in this movie. As I happen to think, Christoph Waltz is a tremendous actor, and it's interesting because I think for a while there he was definitely very pigeonholed into the villain role, like after yeah. he did, especially in Glorious Bastards. Well, yeah, pretty and much. And he was so good in that, it's understandable. But, like, here, because, like, I mean, I think it's an interesting thing to try to do, because, like, we're all waiting for him to be a villain. And, spoiler alert, I guess, he never really becomes that villain. Well, yeah, He's just an they, idiot. He's just a nice idiot. He's a they, buffoon. And they even make, like, that whole line about how I'm going to give her another six months. So... 
like in the beginning of the movie. Right. So you think sure. that she's on a timer, but then she's not really. Yeah. It, there's there's no consequences, and there's like this like th- and then there becomes this moment of he's trying to make up for the for what he asked of God with his first wife, and it just none of it hit. And right. that okay. So here's my here's another huge issue with this movie is it. It doesn't have a good enough script or it doesn't trust the audience enough to figure this stuff out without speeches. There's right. about – without giving anything away, there's about five times during this movie where huge character moments are revealed but through a monologue about, so this is my character moment, blah, 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 instead of like slowly giving us pieces throughout mm-hmm. the movie, which is what a good script does. I mean you mentioned show, not tell. This movie just continues to tell for an hour and 47 minutes and you're like – Okay, there's no mystery here. There's nothing for me to figure out. You're just going to... Okay, you're just going to tell me. And I feel like they try to do some of the voiceover stuff like they did with Ever After, but they did it in the way that didn't work. Because Ever After... Ever After made it work because it was at the beginning of the story and at the end of the story. Yeah, this, there seemed to be no rhyme or reason as to when voiceover would come in. Yeah. Like, I was like, oh, we're done with voiceover. Okay, great, because I hate voiceover in general. And then, like, 25 minutes later, at a random moment, we'd hear from Holiday Granger's disembodied voice one more time. And I'm like, what are we doing? And the voiceover at the end just felt like like the Cliff Notes summary. Yeah. Again, like, well, yeah. well we just watched that. Like, yeah, we, are, we already picked up on that. So why are you repeating this? Yeah. I, I mean, it just... I mean, also, a lot of characters' choices... I mean, I understand these are characters in the under the most stress you could possibly imagine under these extreme circumstances. But, like, if I, as a viewer, am constantly going, what the fuck are you doing? Why would you... No. No, you yeah. can't just do that. You can't walk back there. No, please stop. You know, it just... There are so many character decisions that just didn't make sense. And, like, any... Like, any movie of of kind of the period variety there there are going to be a lot of moments of like well if you people would just talk to each other everything would be fine <laughs> but you know you have to kind of forgive that given given the kind of the genre it is i think my big issue is how much this movie changed from like the first 45 minutes to the last hour like yeah. it starts out being like a very serious period drama. I'm like, okay, maybe this is building to something. I can get into this. Judy Dench just showed up. This is great. She's always phenomenal playing Judy Dench. Um, and then all of a sudden it becomes a comedy of errors. Yeah, it almost feels like they switch directors in the middle of it. Yeah, I just... And granted, this director isn't known for doing much. He's, he's not done very much that's uh, critically acclaimed, and you can kind of see why. Like, But I will say, focusing on the positive, this is a beautiful movie to look at. It's really beautiful. The costuming's on point. And for you to say that and it's not, means but it's, something. But it's, and the thing is, is like, it's not a bad movie. It's just not a good movie. It's just mediocre. It's middling. It just kind of lies it's there. It's fine. You want to watch something to like lose two hours? Watch it. Like, I'd almost rather... I mean, how do you feel about this? I'd almost rather it would have been as bad as I thought it was going to be going in. Like, because for me, there's nothing worse than like a movie that's just... Because to me, this was just kind of boring. Like, it just kind of floated there in the middle and didn't do anything great and didn't do anything terrible. I don't know. Now I have a good background movie for when I'm working on projects. That's true. Because it's That's something true. that I can, like, tune in when I feel like tuning in and I'm not really going to miss anything. Right. But I'm also not going to be like, ugh. It's not, it's not like watching Cousin Bet. Because that I was angry over. A movie so, that no one has seen. <laughs> I think so we should put that on the movie poster. It's a movie that, even if you're not paying attention, you won't miss anything. Man, I'm running out <laughs> to the theater to go see that one. 
That's yeah. It's just it's not great. I don't. I don't think it's except I picked the one time, the one time to go to the bathroom that was the worst timing in the movie. Oh yeah, the, the first sex. So actually, scene. I'm yeah. kind of okay now that You're I fine. saw them both naked. Yeah, uh, but I think at this point we're gonna go to spoilers so we can kind of talk about things we've been kind of dancing around. Spoilers. What? Read ahead. Spoil all the surprises. Not peeking at the end. Isn't traveling with you one big spoiler? That's classified. That's what? classified i could tell you but then i'd have to kill you all right so (laughs) there's this of course this whole plot through the whole movie of them running away together and of course there's the backdrop of the tulip he you know manages to get his he managed to be a genius at tulip selling i guess like magically just from the beginning yeah no growth again see this is another problem with this movie and it's just was that was that a plant joke no growth no it wasn't but it's pretty good i kind of wish i had thought of that um but there's no there's no arc to any of this. It's just like everyone is kind of the same throughout the movie or they magically take 25 steps forward. Like he learns about a tulip one day and then the next day he's like essentially for this time a millionaire. I think the only characters that really like did anything as far as changing were Maria, Willem, her mm-hmm. her fishmonger. Yep. And then um the the Christopher was whatever. Christopher Waltz. Christoph Waltz. There, you can't even, yeah. Yeah. Whatever his character's name was. I can't remember it now. I don't know. I don't even know that he changed that much. Other than, like, he changed from the character he was before we met him. Because there's that whole subplot of, like, I basically asked for my wife to die and to save the child. But, like, at the start of the movie, he's a nice buffoon. And at the end of the movie, he's a nice buffoon who's married with kids. Like, there's... Eh. But I think I think the change for him, at least, was that, like, in realizing that, like, he would... Because... He got the the kids and stuff later, but he had to have that moment of realizing this isn't the life that I'm going to get, so I'm going to leave it to somebody else, and I'm sure. going to move on. Sure, yeah. And then he wound up getting it, yes. But, like, there yeah, there's was, a little there was there. that pinnacle of change of, like, okay, this isn't the life that I'm ever going to have, so right. I'm going to make sure somebody else is settled to be able to have it because they have it there. Yeah, I did have a moment when that was happening that I didn't feel like that really made a lot of sense to me. Like, he's just going to leave behind... Everything. That didn't really make sense to me either. Like because when, we didn't get an insight into his character ever. With the whole like voiceover when Again. Maria was saying like, <laughs> I, little did I know that that day I was like glimpsing my future. I thought that that meant that he was going to wind up marrying Maria. Yeah. yeah. With, especially with the After whole the like, I will raise born. her as my own. Yeah. I will treat her like my own daughter. I thought that that was going to happen and not that Willem was going to come back. And then yeah. like that didn't make much sense to me. Yeah, I just, and that was the moment where I was referencing earlier where it's another, like, we're just going to tell you everything that happened. Like, Willem comes back, and magically, their argument covers the entire plot of the movie right. while Christoph Waltz is listening in the hallway. Yeah. And I was just like, you're going to scream that? Really? No, I had, a good same, I had that same moment of, like, that is not something that you would have screamed. Right. Like, especially knowing that he is, like, two rooms over. Right. Or at worst, at any point, could come home. It's his fucking house. Like, yeah. you just... Take Willem outside and talk to him there. What are you doing? Yeah, they were, they were. there was a lot of, like, things that should have come across subtly in this movie that right. didn't. Yeah. And speaking of uh, things that were not subtle, so we have this plot of the, the two main characters running away together um, after he gets money for this prize tulip. Um, and she has to fake her own death, which is part of the com- comedy of errors that happens with her pretending to be pregnant while her maid is pregnant. And none of that would have worked longer than five minutes, but whatever. Yeah. Um, you just got to kind of have to, you know, suspend your disbelief enough to get through that. But then they like, you know, pry her out of the um, 
uh, what do you call it? Out of coffin. out of the coffin, <laughs> and she magically at this moment has this realization after waiting for her lover for nine seconds. Uh, it says essentially goes like, "Well, he's not coming back," and then has all this regret over what she's done to her husband, and decides. I think that, but I think that started in the coffin. She started breaking down in the coffin. Well, see, I had read that in that moment as like this woman's being buried alive. Right. Of course, she's breaking down. Right. But apparently, it was like she had all this regret, and she decides after she knows she has faked her own death and done all these terrible things, I'm just going to walk back through town with my face not covered and maybe try and go back to my husband after I've faked my own death. Like what? What are you doing? Like, yeah. she had a head covering, but they clearly showed with the camera that you could see her face. And she's a well-known person in this town. And I was just like, what are you doing? Cause, yeah, because they did keep like, showing that. Like, what are you going to say to when you get back? She's, like, around these group of women. Like, right. the dressmaker knows her and all yeah. his friends know her. And, and like, what is she going to say when she gets back? Like, oh, BT dubs, my bad. I'm alive. Uh, just kidding. I decided not to run off with this dude I've been fucking. Uh, so can we, like, keep yeah. this kid? Like, what do you know? Like, there has to be a step in between. There has to be her talking to someone about what she could do. You can't just, like... And it felt like just an excuse to have her stare into the window and see Christoph Waltz was a good guy taking care of this kid. Right. And you could have just done that. You right. didn't have to have her running through town. And it just felt like, with as many areas as they could have extended this movie, this felt like a period where they were like, yeah, let's really, really stretch this out. And, and I was then, like, why and this? Then she had, and then she had to run back through town and toss a thing off her head into uh, the water. And then he sees the cloak and immediately, oh, she's obviously dead. Like, really? Because there's a piece of cloth in the water yeah. that's hers? Really? Come on. She just faked her own death. Why would she? Why would she actually kill herself? Yeah. It just, there's a lot of things in the, like, second and third act of this movie that I was, like, shifting in my seat. Like, I'm like, this is dumb. I want this to be over. And I feel bad for every actor involved. Because none of them, given what they're given in this script, does a bad job. Mm -mm. They're all good. They're, like, at the worst, fine, and at best, good to very good. And I just feel... And now I know why this movie kept getting pushed back. That, like, it was supposed to come out in 2014 or 2015, and they kept pushing it back and doing rewrites. And it's really shocking because the writers of this, one of them wrote Pride and Prejudice, and the other one wrote the play of uh, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead, and he wrote Shakespeare in Love. Like, he knows... Tom Stoppard knows this era, and he should be able to do better. And but it just like this whole thing for me just falls. It makes kind me of wonder flat. how many things were director choices then, because Shakespeare in Love is like one of my favorite movies. Mm -hmm. But meh. yeah, I mean, I think that reaction, that sound, is the perfect description of Tulip Fever. Like <laughs> the whole meh, you know, like there's there's not even a, maybe I shouldn't say that. Were there moments in this movie where you were like really into it, or you like gasped and were like, oh my god, this is great? Like even mostly little stuff moments. around Maria. Yeah. Because yeah. she seemed to be the only character that was actually having any sort of development. Yeah, and that's... I also had an issue with, like, Maria's turn in that moment where, like, you know, she's been really nice and her her mistress is really nice to her. And then all of a sudden it's like, it's like I'll, I'll turn you in. Yeah. Okay. And it was just like, it was vicious and mean and didn't fit her character before that then, or after and that. And that's why they had to put the voiceover over the top because right. they didn't, there's something. I regretted that. Like there, immediately yeah, after right. like, oh God. Right. So there was, I was like, so the, that tells me is there was something else that happened between them 
that made her do that that we didn't want to explain in the movie, so we're just going to have her say it over the Yeah, because in the movie she says, you know, I'll hide you as long as I can. I don't know what my husband will do, which is perfectly natural. Right. You're like, okay, that's nice of her. She didn't have to do that. And then all of a sudden, you know, the mask comes off and the fangs come out and it's like, I will tell your husband you're fucking this dude. And it was like, what? This character? Really? And, you know, and there, there, of course, in a movie like this, there's going to be a lot of conveniences. Like you have... You know, the fact that uh, our main character takes the head covering from from her servant to hide herself. Like, apparently she doesn't own a cloak or a hood. Um, so that's why, you know, uh, the whole thing between Maria and her guy goes south because he thinks she's cheating on him. So he runs off and, you know, gets robbed also, by a prostitute. Also, why does Maria have one that is so identifiable? Yeah, with this little top knot on the top. Well, and well just because it's like... like it's she a convenience. Seems, she seems to have, it. like, the only one that looks like that. Yeah, yeah. And and if anything, the mistress of the house should have something that looks distinctive, not the servant. I also want to know when the blue got put into the lining. Yes. Because the beginning yes. of the movie, that blue was not there. Nope. And that blue is the same blue silk that they made this made huge out of just, deal about the color of the blue. And, yeah. and then all of a sudden, like, the maid is going to have it inside of her everyday cloak that she goes to get dirty ass fish with no yeah yeah i mean like she's not just gonna get gifted a yard or two yards of that blue fabric to put inside of her cloak yeah that's the nicest mistress that's ever lived if if that happened so one thing the last thing i want to talk about where we finish here we got to talk about how um kind of gross even though christoph waltz is a is a buffoon like the whole the like pseudo sex scenes that are happening where he constantly refers to his dick as a little soldier yeah and like and if you want to do that once to like okay he's an idiot he's a buffoon fine but there's like seven scenes he just kept doing it over and And i was just like how did this make it past the edits how did someone go like yeah that's hilarious keep that shit in well i think i think again it's them like trying too hard because they're trying to be Mm -hmm. like instead of like just Kind of explaining more with acting. They're like, we're going to show you this scene repeatedly. That way you're as annoyed as she is. And you'll right. feel more you know, sympathetic that she's going to go with this younger guy. See, and that part of it works. So then when she decides to go back, like, I'm like, eh. Yeah. Like, I realize that guy's not a villain, but he's kind of a douchebag. And I don't want her going back to that situation. That's awful. Where she just looks up and thinks of England every night while yep. he, like, finishes inside her. Like, I was like, ugh. This is gross. You should run away with this artist. Do it. This artist seems cool. Go for it. Like, honestly, I think the only person who comes out of this unscathed is Judy Dench because they didn't ask her to do anything that wasn't something you've seen a hundred times before Judy Dench. And that doesn't mean it doesn't work or it works any less. She's still phenomenal. I don't even think they funny. gave her a script. No, I, I don't think so either. Yeah, I think, you know, to kind of close out here, I think that what this movie is really missing is like a solid hand behind the camera and knowing what tone is like, it can't decide if it wants to be a drama or a ridiculous comedy. Yeah. So it tries to do half and half and neither of them really land. And that's pretty unfortunate with all the talent involved in this movie. All right. Uh, so we're going to take a break and then Britt is going to come back and we are going to talk about another period film, a room with a view. And we'll talk about the movies coming out next week. 
Hello, I'm Andrew. And I'm Bernadette, and we're the AB Film Review. We're a weekly film review and discussion podcast from Perth, Western Australia. We're a married couple who like to spend our Saturday evenings avoiding reality by discussing and often arguing about the latest films and some classics. And getting closer to divorce. Uh, you can find us on the Podbros Network at podbros.com, also on Twitter at AB Film Review, Facebook AB Film Review, and our website abfilmreview.com. That's a lot of ABs. That's it. All right, so we're back. We're back for Fangirl Fixation with Britt. Say hello, Britt. Why? <laughs> I don't know why. You've already been here. I'm not sure why you would have to say hello. So anything you want to talk about before we jump into your film education and the movies coming out? Hey, it's not my film education this week. It's your film education. Uh, you barely remember this movie. It's still your film education. No. You haven't seen this in decades. So, so. decades. How the fuck old do you think I am? You're in your 30s. Yeah, you thought and I you watched saw this... all these inappropriate movies as a child. We talked about this during the movie because there's so much dick in it. <laughs> like, how did I block this out? You don't remember this? I remember this, but I'm not sure what age you thought I saw this. Well, whatever. Decades. What? Decades is more than ten. Whatever. I'm Have done you... with you. All right. Cool. All right. Um, so, anything else you want to talk about before we jump in? No. So to speak. Like, no. Jump in the pool. All right. Um... You're just obsessed with that. You're just gonna like. You're gonna go somewhere. You're gonna like edit this down to just that one scene. And it's a great movie that over same. again. Yeah. Um, so we were talking earlier in our review of Tulip Fever about movies that capture that longing between people. So do you think that this movie managed to capture that? I think this movie did. Yeah. I totally agree. And this, of course, stars uh, Helena Bonham Carter and Julian Sands and those two roles specifically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Julian Sands, it's weird because like he's very recognizable to me, but he also did a lot of crap. Like He did a lot of... like. Late night kind of softcore porn Warlock. stuff. Oh, Jesus, you wouldn't know that. But he's really good here. Yep. I think I think it's interesting. Like we have, if you look at actors today, like I think they're so much more well known. Whether it's because of like social media and kind of aware of what their choices mean, mm-hmm. it makes me wonder if he had been born later. Like if he was a young actor now, if he would have had a much different career. Oh, he totally would have. Yeah, because I think he's really good here. He is, and really good without a lot of dialogue. Yeah. So when he finally does speak passionately, like, you believe it. Like, you are into it. I think the most disturbing thing to me was seeing Helena Bonham Carter as a 19-year-old because she just doesn't look like herself yet. Before it was very tainted. strange. Yes, before she was tainted by, by Tim Burton. Um, but yeah, this is, you know, basically the story of um, Lucy, who has gone off on a vacation in Florence. Say her last name. Lucy Honeychurch, uh, who has gone off on a vacation in Florence with her chaperone, Charlotte Bartlett. Um, who was played by Maggie Smith, mm-hmm. um, who is, as always, amazing. It's pretty much um, where they got McGonagall from, I think, is this character. Pretty much, yeah. It's a very similar character. And, you know, she runs, they run into the Emersons. And these are people, I think you're supposed to believe that these are clearly people below their station. Yes, yes. Um, they're, they're supposed to be more like the working class. Like, they keep, they keep making snide comments about them being free-thinking. Yeah, how dare they. Yeah. Yes. And, like, it's interesting, like, seeing how with that class divide, being direct is a negative thing. Mm-hmm. Like, basically, there's this whole thing about, like, we we're supposed to have a room with a view and we have nothing outside of our window. And the Emersons, the father and son, are just like, hey, why don't you take our room? It's fine. You we know, don't you need can a tell, room. We're guys. Yeah, we don't need to look at things. It's fine. We're tough. We, we're internal. You're external. It's fine. Go ahead and Go ahead and look at our view. And they're, like, totally, or at least Maggie Smith's character is totally just insulted by this like how dare they i can't trust you i don't know you and i think it says a lot about lucy's character that she's not Mm -hmm. that she's like no they're just being nice right it's fine 
which I think immediately kind of draws us to And her. the fact that she had to go and find a male authority to explain that mm-hmm. to her cousin, too. Yep. Yeah. And I think it's also interesting plot-wise because I think what I was expecting is they would meet, they would carry on this torrid love affair for their entire lives, mm-hmm. and then maybe come together at the end. But it's like there is a 30-minute chunk of this movie where the Emersons are gone. Yep. Like, you don't see them at all. And I'm like, but when are they coming back? Like, these two have to get together. Like, there's clearly something there. And I was legitimately worried during this movie that they were never going to end up together. Mm. You know, which is rare in a romance. Like, usually... Especially once Cecil uh, enters the picture. The worst. Daniel Day-Lewis in, like, I say the worst role of his career, not as far as acting, but just, like, he's somehow more unlikable in this than he is when he's playing, like, an out-and-out villain. (laughs) Because he's just such a jackass. Yep. And he's so good at it. Like... The ridiculous accent, like, the clothes, everything about him in this is over the top. And I was just like, this hurts me to watch. Like, it's it's rough. Um, did you have, do you have, like, favorite moments from this movie? Is there Are there scenes that stand out? Because this movie does have such kind of a languid pace, it's easy for it to just kind of wash over you and not have these moments stand out. Because it is about their whole lives, essentially. Um, so were there moments for you that, that you would pick out that really are like, that's that's it right there. I think the whole scene in the, in the courtyard where she loses her photos. Oh, it's good. And like... Where there's the fight. And the yeah, blood, where the fight. And, and yeah. then like he comes to her rescue and then she's like, I don't need your help kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then he has like art like... Like, like, no, you really do. Like, like, no, can you just, like, sit here and wait? I will get them for you. Kind As of she wanders off in the wrong direction, like, yeah, probably so, has a concussion or something. And, and like, how he, like, he does things, like, subtly gets rid of the photos. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't want you to see them like that. Like, right. that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So I think, like, that interaction when they're first, like, really getting to know each other, mm-hmm. like, sticks out. Sure. Because it, um, it happens later in the movie, too, where, like, he has a speech of, like, like, he's never going to respect you for who you are. Man, that's so good. That, like... Like, this really laid down the foundation of, like, he he did things that were good for her, but because he knows who she is. Right. Not just because he wants her to end up with him. Yeah. Like, if that and happens, not, he's very because, happy about it. And not it, just but... because he thinks he knows best. No. But, like, I know you. I know this would be upsetting to you. So I got rid mm-hmm. of it. Yeah. And I love how later in the movie, when she's breaking up with Cecil, she essentially parrots exactly what he says. Right. Which tells us as an audience, like, he got under her skin. He was right. Yep. And she has realized it now. And it's not just like, I'm saying it because a man told me to, but it really got to her. And she thought like, yes, that is who I am. Yeah. Like, this is someone who actually knows me. I think the moment that got to me was when like, you know, the Emersons show back up again. They've like rented the cottage. um, And Cecil is reading out loud this novel that is written by, um, trying to remember the character's name, but. The, the other woman who was yeah. in Italy with them. Lavish. Um, Mrs. Lavish. Miss Lavish, yes. Um, and it's essentially, you know, she's figuring out that it's her story. Yeah. Um, and Emerson is sitting right there just kind of smirking mm-hmm. at her because he knows. And you know there's no chance he's going to, like, he's going to make things horrible for her and tell Cecil. Right. But there's this, like, understanding. And she's, like, very flushed. And he's very pleased <laughs> that yeah. this is going on. And then they have another, like, encounter, like, off to the side in the in the bushes. And it's really, really sexy and really romantic. And I was just like, oh, yeah, these two need to end up together. Because when you just have that first scene where they have that one kiss and then her chaperone shows up, you're like, okay, that could just be a moment in discretion. Right. She's on vacation. She's learning who she is. But this is like, no, this is happening again. But it really does play this interesting line this interesting border of consent in this movie Mm. i think you're not supposed to be sure 
if she wants this or not. And right. I don't think she is either. Right. Which is a really hard line to balance on, but I think they do a good job of it here. Well, I think it, and I think they were trying to kind of show that a little bit more too, like with how they were showing the interactions with Cecil, where like he like finally asked to kiss her, mm-hmm. and then it just like goes really weird and wrong. Yes. Yes. Oh God, it's so so awkward and inappropriate. I don't like it. Um, my only complaint about this movie, and it's not really a complaint, is that you know you have. Um, Maggie Smith and Judy Dench, and they have a couple scenes together, and they are glorious and magical. Yeah, because Dave just wanted that movie. I was like, give me this movie. This is amazing. They are so good together. I just want them. I want the buddy comedy with these two running across Europe together, trying to figure stuff out. Like it was just fantastic. They like, could they great. could be the Miss Allens now. Like, can we can we re- yes. can we just give them a Miss Allen yes. movie? I would totally watch that. And then of course you have the like very extended nude scene. I was very surprised at this. Like, it just kept going. Yeah, so what we've discovered is, like, somehow, when I was younger, I have just blocked out any movies with titties or dick. Yeah. Like, I don't know how. Because, like, I was, like, I was watching, I was, like, oh, they actually flashed fully full frontal with these three guys. Okay, whatever. And then there's, like, 20, not 20 minutes. But it no, feels, it feels like, like that. Like it's this long. They're like chasing each other around the pond. They're like jumping, jumping in. in. It's like, like this is the gayest shit I have ever seen, and it is great. Like this is phenomenal, and it just went on and on and on. Uh, and it's something that I think now you wouldn't see. Oh no! Like every once in a while, there are full frontal male scenes in movies, but to it's shock. like to shock, and it's like for two seconds. And or like, like in that, that where you okay. get like the back of the forefrontal. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and this is like, you know, it's a Merchant Ivory movie. It's a period movie in all those ways. And you will see more of that in movies like this. So it was kind of, but it was interesting because it was also, it was, you know, to titillate, but it was also a character thing. Yeah. You know, not only seeing the camaraderie of these guys, but having them run out and you see like how taboo anything sexual is. Especially in the upper class, and I think, and I think it was also to show more of the character for um, for for Lucy mm-hmm. too. Because, she looks, yeah, because she she looks, she looks and she kind of like, and she kind of like, like laughs at them and right. like isn't as scandalized. And, Everyone else is like, oh god. Well, and no, she's like, like even though even her mother wasn't, and like that yeah. that was the thing is like they kind of like talked about how they're all savages. Yeah. So like so so we have the Emersons who are like, supposed to be lower class or whatever. And then we have the white churches, wait, no, honey churches. Honey churches. Yeah. That are, um, that are the savages. Mm-hmm. So, like, it kind of makes sense that mm-hmm. they would get along together. Yeah, that they would all interact. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, so we'll go through our usual, and I guess we'll both answer it because neither of us have seen this, this movie. Um, is this a great movie? I've seen it. And yes. Well, you haven't seen it in years. Whatever. Um, yeah, I think this is a great movie. Like, you this definitely is... need to see this version of Room of the View. Oh, yeah, I saw there was another version, like, more recent. Uh, I had no interest in that. Um, But I do really think this is a great movie. It's hard to say, of course, after only seeing it once and it being so recent. But this is one of my favorite period films. Like, I really enjoyed it. I I loved it. Is it just because of 20 Minutes of Dick? No, not just because of that, but that doesn't hurt. All right. Yeah. Um, No, I think it's really good. I mean, I think if... I mean, if you just look at the cast, Mm -hmm. like, this is more than an all-star cast. Like, this is a... Like, kind of everyone in this could be... Dave kept having that moment, like, oh, it's that guy. Oh, it's that guy. Everyone in this could have been, like, a lead role. Yep. And you you could just, you know, switch them, and it would be fine. Everyone here is really excellent, and I just think it's definitely worth watching. Um, So do you see kind of seeds of this movie in more modern movies? Or have we kind of left this behind? I feel like we kind of left it behind. Yeah, I mean, if you look at what we saw this week... That's what I'm saying, like, because just... Because we had an amazing ensemble and cast. 
in Tulip Fever. Mm-hmm. And it was wasted. Yep. Because in this movie, we had amazing ensemble cast. And it was amazing. Like, everybody had yeah. their moment. It makes me wonder if now the place for this type of story is miniseries. Where Probably. you can really take your time and you don't feel rushed. And there's not this pressure to but be think, like, we have to make $100 million on this or it's a failure. We have I to mean, win an but Oscar. But even this was a movie. Like, Room with a View was still a oh, movie. I, know. I think it has so much more to do with everybody understanding the voice and working towards a common goal, which nobody does anymore. Yeah. It it's all about, like, like I my name needs out. to be bigger. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and not even not even so much, like, with the actors and actresses, but with the director, with the writers. Like, mm-hmm. all of that like yeah. has now become such a cutthroat thing. Yeah, I think honestly, probably the most recent period movie that I really enjoyed was the um, the new update to Jane Eyre. Uh, yeah, with Fassbender and yeah, that one's really, really good. Like I think that's really good, and of course, it didn't do very well. Nope, <laughs> monetarily because, because it's not ex- everybody who's modern sucks. Well, also because like I just think there's there's this tendency now to not make movies. Um, that are slower paced. Like they got to be quick. They got to move. They got to have explosions. They have to have big emotional scenes. Yes, because people and, suck. Fine. Uh, and in a movie like this, or in like Jane Eyre, the emotion builds. It's not like every ten pages there's a big emotional moment. But by the end of the film, when people are emotional, there's a reason instead of it just being like because we need to. Yeah. You know, like they actually craft a story instead. All right, um, so now we are going to move on to the three movies coming out this week that I made Brit suffer through their trailers for. Thanks. Uh, the first one is 9-11. Uh, I, I don't even want to talk about this We one. have like, to. No, like, briefly, I don't even want to talk about starring it. Starring Charlie Sheen, Whoopi Goldberg, Gina Gershon, and Luis Guzman. And it's about people during 9-11 that get stuck inside an elevator. Um, and there's a lot to complain about this movie. Like, really, everywhere you turn, yep. there's things to complain about. Um, but I think my biggest complaint is you can tell that they made this for like $9. Yeah. Like this looks so cheap and there's a reason like, okay, we're going to, we're going to use stock footage of 9-11 and we're going to have a camera inside an elevator and then we're going to have a camera on Whoopi Goldberg and her shitty, shitty wig, um, trying to talk these people down. Let's see how much, uh, Trump's going to tweet about this. Oh God. Yeah. It just, there's literally nothing about this that looks good. Nope. Like Charlie Sheen looks like he's still high, which yep. probably is. Um, Got them giant ass craters in their face, and nobody like decided to smooth those over in yeah. post. And we're gonna have like, close up in yeah. the trailer. Like, no, um, I'm glad Gina Gershon is still getting work. I guess, but like, she, apparently, she's never gonna get another good role. Nope, uh, and that's really a shame. Especially now that she did this movie. Yeah, way to go on getting into a project that's making fun of a tragedy. Yeah, well, I mean, who knows what kind of tone it has, but it just it just doesn't look. No, good. the thing is, is that even if it is trying to have a serious tone, this is a fucking farce. Yeah. It should not have been made. They should not be releasing it on the on same 9/11. weekend yeah. in order to try and exploit people over a tragedy. Right. Yeah. Screw yeah, I totally guys. agree. So we're going to move on because that movie looks like garbage and there's not much to say about other than don't go see it. Like, don't give don't, money Don't, don't give money don't to don't things it. like this because it's going to be bad. All right. So, um, unbelievably, this second movie actually looks much, much better in comparison. We have Home Again, uh, which is a romantic comedy starring Reese Witherspoon, my favorite. Um, so she is, what's that? It's a good in comparison. Yes, exactly. So she, it looked like she plays someone who has just recently been divorced. She's She's a single mom. It says in the trailer. Right. Um, and apparently three young guys move in with her for some, I guess to like save on rent. I don't know. Uh, save on sex. It looks like. Yeah. And it looks like she, you know, is kind of hooking up with random dudes, which is fine. But like, there's nothing, I don't know. Did you laugh during this trailer? Nope. Like, I was just like. 
I think I I'm not slut shaming or nothing. You want to get yours? Yeah, that's get fine. Yours. Go that. But you know what? What this just doesn't look good. Yeah, I think they're depending on like the idea of people loving Reese Witherspoon, and that's going to be enough to bring people in the theaters. Is it like it still brings me this moment of where it's going to reek of heteronormative monogamous bullshit, right? And I just keep She's going, gonna end why up not with be one Polly? Dude at the end. Yes, because yeah. they're all fighting for her attention. Yeah. Like, yeah. so it's not going to be a thing where she can actually be empowered. So I'm just not going to waste my time on it. Yeah. Uh, the only the only thing that's interesting to me about it is the fact that Michael Sheen is in it. I'm pretty sure he's playing her ex because uh, he's an older guy. He's not a younger guy. Yeah. So I'm just making yeah, yeah, yeah. like that's, the salt that's, pepper beard. That's sort of what they've implied. Yeah. And he's always really good. But like... I don't know, this just screams, like, there's nothing I can find on Netflix, so I'm going to put this on. Are you sure it's not a Netflix one? I'm pretty sure. It's actually coming out in theaters. But it just does feel like a movie that you watch when there's nothing better to watch. Yep. You know? And it just, I don't know, I just can't imagine this this being even as good as something like, you know, uh, what was that movie she did uh, when she was, like, the quote-unquote dumb blonde, uh, legally blonde? Oh, yeah, that one was good. Yeah. And uh, this is going to be nowhere near that good, I don't think. This that one, is, they actually played to her strengths. I haven't seen it yet, but it's probably not going to be as good as Sweet Home Alabama. Like, it's just going to be... Sweet Home Alabama was another one that was decent. That's what I keep hearing. Yeah. A lot of people have told me that. So I got to check that out. I got to get over my Reese Witherspoon hatred. You're not going to it. with these movies. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're not. Just... But but it is definitely better than what this looks like, which is a giant garbage pile. A giant garbage pile. But yeah. better than 9-11. Oh, so much better. So I that. would definitely watch this over that. All right. So the movie that we are covering this week, which is kind of obvious because it's easily the biggest release. Float with us. That movie is Stephen, Float with us. Is Stephen King's It. Um, so we are coming from different perspectives because yep. I just read the book and you're leaving. Where are you going? Taking my shirt off. I'm leaving that in. <laughs> <laughs> so you haven't read the book. Um, and you have seen, you saw the original, the I miniseries the original when you were a kid. When I was 10. So when it was scary, yeah. unlike me. And, and now I've been told that I'm not allowed to go back and watch it because it'll ruin all of the scary that it gave me to begin with. It will. So now that you've seen the trailers for it, what do <laughs> yeah. you think? Uh, so, so Dave showed me the wrong trailer first. Yeah, the second trailer. Because I had a whole bunch of people telling me to not watch the trailer because it was so terrifying. Like, even, like, had, like, grown-ass people being like, I watched this before bed and I regret everything. <laughs> um, and then he showed me the wrong trailer and I'm like, this ain't scary. What the hell's wrong with you people? Like, mm-hmm. I, like, seriously started looking down on everybody. And then he found the right trailer. And that was a little more terrifying. And I wish mm-hmm. that we had found that one first. Yeah. Um, because the, the one that I did watch first kind of, like, already revealed a little bit too much um, without all of the scare moments in it. Um, But, I mean, I'm not going to be able to see this movie anyways, so that's fine. (laughs) I'm good. (laughs) But you did think the original trailer was scary. Yeah. Yeah, the first trailer that was released was actually scary, and I think that they should have stuck to that with the trailers. They should have kept that tone. Everyone who's going to see that movie after the first trailer is like, they're ready. Mm -hmm. You're not going to convince anybody to go see it. Like, that's not... If someone is against it, they're against it. If yep. they're for it, they're for it. It's going to make a shitload of money. Did you tell your great. viewers what happened after you finished? The, or viewers, listeners, whatever you people are. No, they're not looking after, <laughs> You guys are lucky. Yeah, you're better off. Um, After you finished listening to it on your way home? Uh, No, I did not reveal that. I revealed it on Twitter, uh, but not on here. So as I was driving home... I think I was driving from San Jose to here. Is that right? No, no, you're driving from here to San Jose. Oh, from here to San Jose. Because you you messaged me one. You oh, stopped for right. gas. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yes. 
Um, and there is a whole, I mean, you can see from the trailer, there's a whole plot line with a balloon. Specifically going the up, red balloon. A red balloon. And as I was driving home, and literally, like, I'm, I'm in the wrap-up stage of the book. Like, everything is kind of taken care of. For those of you who read it, you kind of know where, where the book is at. And I'm driving along the freeway, and I, I swear to God this is true. This is not made up. This is not bullshit. A red balloon, like half deflated, rolls across the freeway and under my car. <laughs> and I literally, I was, cr- like, my skin was crawling because I had just finished getting through this, like, you know, 25,000-page journey <laughs> that, that is Stephen King's It. And I was like, good, everything is wrapped up. It's taking, nope, nope, I'm going to die. Yes. This is it. This is the end of my life. It's been nice knowing you. So that was, that was terrifying. Um, but yeah, I'm really looking forward to this now. Um, but what did you think of Pennywise in particular in, in the trailer? Like, um, I think they did a good job with the makeup for Pennywise. Mm-hmm. Um, and making him different from the Tim Curry version. Yes, definitely different from the Tim Curry version. A lot of it is going to, for me, going to have to like rest on the actual actor, though. Because mm-hmm. like I... From the original It, I remember nothing except Tim Curry. Yeah. Because he was terrifying. That's why you like it still. Right. Yes. (laughs) Because Tim Curry was terrifying. Yeah. And honestly, it's interesting just watching that. Like, if I didn't know Tim Curry was playing that part, I wouldn't have known. Really? It's not like, you know, a lot of times you hear Tim Curry do voice work and you're like, there's Tim Curry. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's very distinctive. Like when you, like in Ferngully, like you hear him playing uh, Hexus and and you're like immediately, oh, that's creepy Tim Curry voice. Okay, cool. And in this, it just, it totally vanishes inside the character, Mm. which makes it a little scarier even. Um, Yeah, so I'm really, I'm really looking forward to this. I think it's going to be really good. I hope I'm not like building it up too much in my head. Um, so well, you already have some slight disappointment with it, so yeah, maybe that'll that temper a little bit. Yeah, is not my favorite thing, but yeah. Um, so yeah, so that is the movie we're going to cover. Um, any last words before we close up? Anything else you want to add about any of the movies or about anything else? Mm-hmm. How much you love Reno? <laughs> hey, Reno did have a Warhammer store. It's true. I thought you were going to bring that up in the beginning. I'm no, I was, that you I was trying to be good because I know how much you hate my Warhamming. Warhamming? Warhamming. Or hammering, maybe? No, 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 That's, hamming, because okay. I was hamming it up about how much I loved the the, the world or war scrolls to you for like 40 Fair minutes. Enough. That's true. All right, uh, so that's it for this episode. Um, the next time you hear me, we will be doing an episode that will tie in with Stephen King's It. We are looking at a horror movie called Mama, which is directed by Andy Muschietti, who also directed It. So until then, I will be here diagnosing your favorites and judging you for what you watch. Sleep at night.